0: Welcome to this latest episode of the Tenable Research Podcast. My name is Dan Raywood. I'm the Product Marketing Manager here at Tenable for the research division. And i like to be bringing this latest podcast where we're looking at some recent research around SSL VPN vulnerabilities. Uh, the uh, security response team produced a recent piece of research looking at vulnerabilities in SSL VPNs and some which go back a couple of years, in fact. Um, with that uh, having been published in the end of August, we invited Satnam Narang and Claire Tills from the SRT to come and join us. So let's hand over to them and see what they have to say about this research. And joining us now is Claire Tills and Satnam Larang from the Security Response Team at Tenable. Uh, welcome both of you. This time we're going to be talking about these VPNs um, that have been so troublesome. Um, Satnam, let's come to you first, because in this latest blog post, you're discussing three vulnerabilities which were featured in the 2020 Threat Landscape Retrospective Report. So first question, can you just tell us what that Threat Landscape Retrospective Report actually is?
1: Yeah, Dan, so the Threat Landscape Retrospective Report is an annual report that the security response team publishes, basically reflecting back on the previous year, looking at trends related to vulnerabilities, as well as also trends in the industry as well, affecting the threat landscape, such as ransomware and breaches, things that are really important for organizations to get a better understanding of what happened so that they can better prepare for the year ahead.
0: Great stuff. And in that report, which is available to download from tenable.com, um, you dare say so you you pick out five key vulnerabilities. And in these vulnerabilities, are, or among these vulnerabilities, are SSL VPNs. Now this of course was the subject of a recent blog post which came out uh, about 10 days ago as we record. Um, These particular vulnerabilities then, these are continuing to see attention from attackers uh, even now we're in 2021, you know, as we record it's the very beginning of September so we're quite significantly into this year. But this is still a problem as as you've covered. So let's talk a bit more about the findings Around the vulnerabilities, you pick out three vulnerabilities there uh, from three different vendors. Um, what kind of, what's the details behind this particular, these particular vulnerabilities, and these particular, um, yeah, these, and what what's been happening with them?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the thing is, is that while we've published this blog post this year, and we've also included these vulnerabilities in our threat landscape retrospective report, we've actually been following these vulnerabilities since they were first disclosed back in 2019. Now, despite patches being available for them for nearly two years for all three flaws, a variety of attackers have incorporated them into their toolkits, whether it be nation state actors, ransomware groups and their affiliates, initial access brokers and cyber criminals. And these three flaws have been featured across a number of government alerts that have been published by government agencies in 2020, as well as in 2021. And they are actually considered to be some of the most routinely exploited flaws by threat actors around the world. So the fact that these vulnerabilities continue to feature on these lists, well into 2021 made it important for us as a team to resurface them in a more direct way for our readers and our customers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that makes total sense because uh, uh, yeah, 2019, we're talking, you know, only two years, I'll do the math there, but it, you know, that, that's quite a significant amount of time for, what, would you, what sort of level of vulnerability would you, would you cause a critical vulnerability, setup? is Is that the level that you personally would put on these particular vulnerabilities?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, when you look at these vulnerabilities, there's actually three things that you have to look at. First, they're really easy to exploit. So an attacker does not actually need to authenticate to these devices in order to exploit the flaws. Second, there's, a readily, there's readily available proof of concept code for them, including exploit scripts that require an individual to just provide a single input, which is pointing it to an IP address. And third, there are actually vulnerabilities in what are known as perimeter devices, which by their nature are going to be publicly accessible on the internet because employees need to access uh, internal resources within a company, especially as we look back at the last year and a half, almost uh, two years where we're dealing with this pandemic. So they need to connect in through their VPN. And these are some of the most popular VPN products out there. So that's why they make them really attractive targets for attackers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you've made the very valid point there that, uh, over the last 18 months, we've been talking about and using VPNs probably more so than ever before. And Claire, let's come to you and just talk about then the vulnerabilities in VPNs because that offers quite a unique compromise opportunity to an attacker that would potentially allow both uh, access to the user's device and you know to the network itself, if, if depending on, on protections, of course. Um, is that why these vulnerabilities were so such high profile?
2: Yeah, absolutely, because as we say in our, our blog post, we kind of refer to VPNs as a, as the doorway. Um, they're really attractive because as Nam said, they have to be accessible publicly. This isn't something where we can go to um, defenders and say, hey, don't make this accessible on the internet as a key feature of defense. That's not possible for VPNs because of how they work. So Having a vulnerability in something that is designed to be publicly accessible makes it then a doorway that attackers can use as a foothold. And then once they've gotten their foot in the door, they can use other vulnerabilities, other tactics to pivot from whatever access they can get. A lot of these are directory traversal flaws. So they'll need to then escalate their privileges on that targeted device in order to launch further attacks.
0: Well, I was going to speak to you about attacks, Claire. Let's stick with you for the moment, because one particular uh, group uh, that have been attacking these these vulnerabilities and exploiting them have been ransomware groups. Um, They seem to have latched on to these particular flaws as an initial entry point to a network. can you just talk us through why these uh why ransomware in particular how how what was the impact here and how that attackers managed to pivot this access into a network using that ransomware how did that work
2: it's a combination of factors that make these types of vulnerabilities so attractive to attackers of all kinds ransomware groups as well as apts um, and that is their ubiquity we talk about this a lot where Um, Ransomware groups and APT groups, ransomware groups in particular, are looking for bang for buck. They're looking for an opportunity to hit as many organizations as they can. And as Sitnam said, these are some of the top VPN products. So by um, integrating exploits for vulnerabilities like this into their attack chains and their playbooks, Ransomware groups know that they have a higher chance of getting in, getting that initial access than if they used something that was a little bit more niche. Um, they, they're going for a kind of scattershot in a lot of cases so that they can make money off of what they're doing and using a VPN is has been a successful tactic for them. Once they then use these vulnerabilities, we've seen a lot of attack chains leveraging things like zero logon. Um, Zero Logon has been very popular chained with a lot of the vulnerabilities we discuss in our blog post because it is, again, a ubiquitous uh, service with privilege escalation. And particularly with privilege escalation, it can, uh, particularly with Zero Logon, it can be used to exploit and gain control of Active Directory domain controllers, which is very valuable for Ransomware groups, because it allows them to take complete control over their targeted network and deploy that ransomware and exploit their targets.
0: Wow. Yeah, well... Ransomware, I guess the point of ransomware is to hit as many victims as possible and get that you know, spread out as to as many people as possible. And this is this is quite a unique way of, of doing that. All right, so now let's talk about the, the three vulnerabilities. Um, as Claire was talking about ransomware groups, we, you've also said in the blog that these have been leveraged by different attack groups. Um, now, back in April, a joint alert from the NSA and the FBI cited um, Russian Foreign Intelligence Service activity in terms of leveraging these vulnerabilities. And other alerts have also named China and Iran as attempting to exploit these vulnerabilities. Is it common to see, uh, you know, nation state attackers uh, targeting such well known vulnerabilities?
1: Yeah, Dan, I mean, at its core, nation state actors aren't really all that different from the attackers that are responsible for distributing ransomware or your average cyber criminals when it comes to breaching networks. Uh, at the end of the day they're all looking for ways to get into organizations whether it's through exploiting vulnerabilities or spear phishing campaigns the cliche of if it ain't broke don't try to fix it applies i guess if you think about it because unpatched vulnerabilities are really valuable weeks months and years after patches have become available so attackers don't necessarily need to invest the resources into developing or acquiring zero-day vulnerabilities so that doesn't mean that they're not valuable. I mean, even this year, we've seen activity involving APT groups where they have leveraged zero days in these SSL VPNs, in fact. But looking at some of those alerts or those advisories from like Pulse Secure, for example, they do say that the lion's share of activity that they do see is involving these legacy vulnerabilities that have been you know, addressed years ago. So the fact that we're still seeing attackers, specifically APT groups, target these vulnerabilities, in addition to also zero-day vulnerabilities, just shows how valuable they are just because organizations are struggling to patch. And you know, national intelligence agencies are often working with the public sector, so they're able to shed light into these types of attacks that they observe. And they regularly feature these VPN vulnerabilities on their list, as I mentioned earlier. So clearly, if they're seeing it, and you have APT groups and ransomware attacks that have been associated with them, it's really important for organizations to pay attention to that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think like going back to where you mentioned earlier on, the fact that, you know, 2019, that's actually when these vulnerabilities were disclosed. And like you said just at the top there, you know, it that they're, they're just looking for an exploit foothold in, aren't they? Really? And they're not just looking for the, the zero day to sort of try and access every single time. They're going to use the same tactics that any other attack group. I mean. From the other side, then, you know, we say we mentioned there a joint alert came from the NSA and the FBI. Um, Satan, so I'm just stick with you. Does this do you think this demonstrates that national intelligence agencies are aware of which vulnerabilities are most likely to be attacked? And I guess that is that's why they're issuing alerts.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, as I just mentioned, you know, as I was answering your previous question, they, they work with the public sector. So, you know, these national security agencies that are publishing these alerts they're the ones who are seeing this activity and they're trying to alert the the public and they're trying to alert private sector as well, that, hey, we're seeing this type of activity. These are, for example, they've put out two top routinely exploited vulnerability reports in the last year, uh, well, two years actually. So they did one last year and then they did one this year. So in 2020, they published an alert, top routinely exploited vulnerabilities looking at a time period of 2016 through 2019 And they also kind of teased out what we would expect to see for 2020 by talking about two SSL vulnerabilities out of the three that we've mentioned here. And this year they put out another top routinely exploited vulnerabilities alert, a joint alert with multiple national security agencies across the world. And these three vulnerabilities were featured in those reports. So they have a lot of insight into what they're seeing as far as what APT groups are doing and how they're trying to target the public sector so they're providing us with really valuable intelligence and that definitely supports the messaging we're trying to convey to our customers and to the general public which is these are some really critical vulnerabilities that continue to be leveraged by attackers and it's really important for organizations to take the time necessary to patch these devices sooner rather than later because we're going to continue to hear about these and we hope that we don't continue to hear about these into 2022 because that is just going to be really devastating for organizations because they've had almost three years to patch.
0: Yeah that, that's a very very valid point and I'm sure we've all seen instances where patches you know just they go for you know months months years years and etc that where just patches are not applied. Um, Kyle let's come back to you then just in terms of the so the so types of companies that are actually being targeted or have been targeted and um, what sort of organizations have you seen um, yeah, being targeted by these types of attackers.
2: One of the more troubling things that we saw last year as exploitation was um, being reported for these vulnerabilities were attacks against organizations who are working on the COVID 19 vaccines that's always really troubling because if an organization like that is taken offline by a ransomware attack that has major global implications. Um, but as we said with ransomware groups, they take a more, we'll say scattershot approach. So we've seen everything from private and public sector, um, small and medium sized businesses up to very large organizations throughout all different types of, um, Sector. So, whether that's retail or manufacturing, um, it's any organization that uses these VPNs could potentially be at risk for targeting by a variety of threat groups.
0: That's a great point, actually, because as satam said earlier on that these are three of the most popular vpns that are being used and i guess they they were being used before for various reasons and over the last 18 months we've seen their use increase more and more so i suppose really in, in summary Clay, you know most businesses could actually be at risk here because if you're using this and you've not deployed that patch then you know the opportunity to exploit is as great for you as it is for you know any other business
2: Absolutely. And one thing I do want to highlight and Sutlam, you can chime in um, as well, if you have any thoughts is, you know, we focused on these vulnerabilities and these VPNs because they're the top used vulnerabilities and they're the top used VPNs, but that does not mean that if you're listening to this and you use a different VPN solution that you should just rest on your laurels. The same recommendations go for any organizations leveraging a product like this. Um, VPNs are a known tactic for attackers. These are the top used ones, but even if you have different VPN products, it's really critical that you ensure you are maintaining them and keeping them updated with all of the current patches because most of them do have vulnerabilities because that's just how technology works. And attackers may still be targeting the lesser known VPNs as well.
1: Yeah, no, I echo that sentiment, Claire. I mean, yeah, we're highlighting these particular vulnerabilities because they're the ones that we've seen exploited the most. And they're part of the top routinely exploited vulnerabilities on the uh, government agencies list. But in reality, there are a number of other SSL VPNs out there that organizations may use. In fact, you know we've seen reports of vulnerabilities being exploited in SonicWall VPNs this year, as well as in like uh, the OnLab uh, SSL VPN. So there's a number of vulnerabilities out there that are being exploited in VPNs. And as we mentioned throughout this uh, podcast, we've talked about the ubiquity of VPNs. We've also talked about how they are perimeter devices so they have to be accessible so they're naturally going to be a very favorable target for attackers
0: yeah i think yeah fantastic points for both of you i like you said claire it's not you know if you don't use these you're safe <laughs> you know this just the these three are particularly notable and i think that's a very very valid point well we're just going to wrap up then just on 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 this issue of patching because you know patches have been available it's not like these are. You know, particularly troublesome in terms of uh well they yeah, are pretty troublesome but they're not troublesome in terms of their you know unavailable patches you know the, the fixes are are there um i guess that there's always there's always delays in patching to, for various reasons um Saturn, let's just just come to you first is there a solution to this problem apart from just instructing people to apply patches what i guess that would be the first thing to recommend but is there anything else you'd sort of say you know try this or, or look at this kind of strategy
1: I mean, you know, one strategy would be to stop using VPNs, but we know that's not possible. That's an impossible ask for any organization. But you know, realistically speaking, Dan, I mean, you know, you're going to hear Claire and I both echo the same sentiment, which is patching is your first line of defense against these vulnerabilities and should be the primary focus for any organization that does use these SSL VPNs or any SSL VPNs in particular. Uh, you know, we've been sounding this alarm for the last year. So we hope that by publishing this recent report, that it'll help drive that message home for our customers as well as those who follow our blog closely
0: yeah absolutely and i think it's if you haven't read the blog already it's uh, hodor which uh, is a reference to game of thrones hopefully a lot more people have watched it more than i have but um yeah do check that out that came out just at the end of august um so do check out there are links in the show notes but um for now claire tills and satan and narang big thanks to both of you for joining us and uh thanks very much for your thoughts I well, big thanks to Claire and to Satnam for joining us today for this podcast and for discussing their recent research blog. Um, you can find out more about their blog. It's on the tenable.com slash blog. It's available for you to read the whole thing, as long with, uh, along with other content as well. Um, and keep an eye on tenable.com slash research too for more information on breaking news on vulnerabilities, threats, etc. cetera. Um, but for now, thanks very much for joining us. You can uh, contact me at Dan Raywood on Twitter or on, of course, different uh, social networks. Um, and look out for more content coming through, uh, through throughout September and the rest of the year. So again, thanks for joining us and see you again soon.